We open the scriptures together first to Psalm 37. Then we'll turn to Matthew 5, verse 5, which will be our text. We read Psalm 37 because Jesus in the third beatitude draws from this psalm. Our Lord, who was the Word made flesh, His teaching is steeped in the Scriptures. And so often in His words you find many, many Old Testament passages referred to or directly quoted. And the third beatitude directly draws from several verses in this psalm. So we'll read the entirety of Psalm 37 together. Let us hear the word of the Lord. Fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity. For they shall soon be cut down like the grass, and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord, and do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. And he shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light, and thy judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord, and wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in his way, because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not thyself in any wise to do evil. For evildoers shall be cut off, but those that wait upon the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. For yet a little while, and the wicked shall not be. Yea, thou shalt diligently consider his place, and it shall not be. But the meek shall inherit the earth, and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. The wicked plotteth against the just and gnasheth upon him with his teeth. The Lord shall laugh at him, for he seeth that his day is coming. The wicked have drawn out the sword and have bent their bow to cast down the poor and needy and to slay such as be of upright conversation. Their sword shall enter into their own heart and their bows shall be broken. A little that a righteous man hath is better than the riches of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholdeth the righteous. The Lord knoweth the days of the upright, and their inheritance shall be forever. They shall not be ashamed in the evil time, and in the days of famine they shall be satisfied. But the wicked shall perish, and the enemies of the Lord shall be as the fat of lambs. They shall consume into smoke, they shall consume away. The wicked borroweth and payeth not again, but the righteous showeth mercy and giveth. For such as be blessed of him shall inherit the earth, and they that be cursed of him shall be cut off. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. I have been young, and now am old. Yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. He is ever merciful and lendeth, and his seed is blessed. Depart from evil, and do good, and dwell forevermore. For the Lord loveth judgment, and forsaketh not his saints. They are preserved forever, but the seed of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land, and dwell therein forever. The mouth of the righteous speaketh wisdom, and his tongue talketh of judgment. The law of of his God is in his heart. None of his steps shall slide. The wicked watcheth the righteous, and seeketh to slay him. The Lord will not leave him in his hand, nor condemn him when he is judged. Wait on the Lord, and keep his way, and he shall exalt thee to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, thou shalt see it. I have seen the wicked in great power, and spreading himself like a green bay tree. Yet he passed away, and lo, he was not. Yea, I sought him, and he could not be found. Mark the perfect man, and uphold, and behold the upright, for the end of that man is peace. 
but the transgressors shall be destroyed together. The end of the wicked shall be cut off. But the salvation of the righteous is of the Lord. He is their strength in the time of trouble. And the Lord shall help him and deliver them. He shall deliver them from the wicked and save them because they trust in him. Now turn to Matthew chapter 5 and our text is verse 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Beloved in the Lord, as we have begun working our way through the Beatitudes of our Lord Jesus Christ, it by now is abundantly clear to us that these grace-wrought characteristics of the disciple of Christ, these grace-wrought characteristics of the child of God, the citizen of the kingdom of heaven, are characteristics that are most unnatural. By that I mean they're not found in the world. They don't grow out of our fallen human nature. They are something that can only be born through the operation of sovereign grace. They are characteristics that mark the regenerated believer. And they have no other source but Christ himself and his spirit. The Christian in the midst of the world is, from many points of view, an otherworldly figure. Not in the sense that the Christian withdraws himself into his own little commune, or that he physically separates himself from the world or the people of the world, that is not the case. How can someone who separates himself completely from the world and the people of the world be a light? He must be in the world to be a light of the world. But he is otherworldly because his character and his way of life is more and more conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ who is not from below but from above. And that is so strikingly clear as we go through the Beatitudes. The things that Jesus emphasizes as the essential ingredients of a Christian's character and conduct are diametrically opposed to the kinds of qualities and characteristics that our human flesh would exalt and see as impressive. They are diametrically opposed to the kinds of characteristics and qualities that the world points to and says, that is great. That is what you want to be. That is going to get you somewhere. We've gone through two of them already. We've looked at what you might call the the foundational quality or characteristic of the Christian, poverty of spirit, humility, which is followed necessarily by a spiritual mourning over sin and over the existence and presence and operation of evil wherever it rears its ugly head. So contrary to the thinking of the flesh in the world which says, miserable are the poor in spirit. Miserable are the humble. Who wants to mourn? Let us laugh now. Let us eat and drink and be merry for tomorrow we die. But Christ says, no, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are they that mourn. And continuing in that exact same vein, he comes now to a third essential feature of the Christian's character. Blessed are the meek. And again, the world says that's outrageous. The meek are the people who are doormats. The meek are the people who get trampled on. Meekness gets you nowhere, the world says, and the flesh agrees. Rather, self-assertiveness is how you go places in this life. You have to climb up, you have to get somewhere, and sometimes that means climbing on the backs of your neighbor and pushing them down so that you can get higher up. And Jesus says no. That is the way to ruin. That way of life is not blessed at all. But blessed, blessed are the meek. And so very contrary to human wisdom, 
ultimately it is only the meek who are successful, who are victorious, who have a bright future, who truly get somewhere. For blessed are the meek, they shall inherit the earth. Let's enter into this third beatitude, taking the first words of it as our theme. Blessed are the meek. First, we're going to study the nature of meekness. And having done so, we will move on to look at the practice of meekness. That is, how do we live out this grace-wrought character trait of the Christian. And then finally, we will look at the great comfort that Christ gives us in this beatitude. The inheritance that is only the possession of the meek. So let's begin this morning by looking at the very concept of meekness and discerning precisely what it is. Meekness is a certain lowliness of heart which manifests itself as gentle and mild conduct, a submissive spirit, and a self-effacing way of life. It's a certain lowliness of heart which manifests itself in a gentle and mild conduct, a submissive spirit, and a self-effacing way of life. That definition is grounded in the scripture. When we look at what the Bible has to say about meekness and the other concepts that the Bible closely associates with meekness, we will see that a lowliness of heart and a gentleness of conduct are especially the components of true meekness. Perhaps the foremost passage in the entire Bible that sheds light on the meaning of meekness is Matthew 11 verse 29. Here, Jesus himself tells us what he means by meekness by pointing to himself and his own character. In Matthew 11 verse 29, Jesus says of himself, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. Right before that, Jesus has said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I shall give you rest. And so as we look at Christ, the compassionate Savior who summons poor sinners to Himself, the weak, the lowly, the oppressed, the burdened by guilt, those whose lives are full of troubles and hardships, who know their sins and know their needs for a Savior. And He says, come to Me. Come to Me not so that I will beat you down, but so that I will lift your oppressive burden from off of you and give you true rest. I am lowly of heart. I am meek, not harsh, not overbearing, not oppressive, but one who stoops down and gently ministers, who is mild in his dealings with us, warm, kind, receptive to his people. That's meekness. Look at Christ. And look at how Christ treated the people who came to Him in their needs and in their weaknesses and in their sins. And there you see what meekness is. And there you see in Jesus that lowliness of heart which manifests itself as gentle, mild conduct. And then you look at Christ and you see how He relates to God. That is Christ as our incarnate Savior in the flesh. And you see His spirit of complete willing submission to the will of His Father. You see the self-effacing character of His life and ministry. And there, there is meekness. Thus, the Apostle Paul calls us as Christians in Colossians 3 to forbear one another in love with all lowliness and Meekness. That's Ephesians 4 rather than Colossians 3. That lowliness of heart then comes to expression as gentleness. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 1 
the Apostle Paul connects meekness and gentleness when he says, Now I, Paul, myself beseech you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. And in Titus 3 verse 2, he exhorts his audience, Speak evil of no man. Be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. The meek are a gentle people. Gentleness is love's studied carefulness in the treatment of others in order to exercise kindness and to do one's utmost to avoid injury or offense. That's gentleness. It's a studied carefulness in the exercise of kindness toward another. So that's meekness. Now we readily see that meekness is very closely connected with humility. So much so that sometimes humility and meekness are hard to differentiate from one another. But they are different. And we see that because Jesus treats them in two different beatitudes. Beatitude number one, blessed are the poor in spirit, especially focuses on humility. But now in beatitude number three, Jesus talks about meekness. They are closely related, but they are distinct. Humility is the foundational Christian virtue and the soil of true humility is the soil from which the flower or the fruit of meekness will grow. In, our, in a previous sermon, we, we defined Poverty of spirit, somewhat like this. It's a deep humility that grips my inner man when I see who I am in light of who God is. It's acknowledging that I'm spiritually poor, empty, needy, powerless, destitute of all good in myself, and therefore a creature who needs God to provide all of his, all of his needs. And especially the poor in spirit recognize that they are sinners who desperately need God's mercy to rescue them and to fill them with unmerited blessings of salvation. That poverty in spirit imparts a properly lowly view of self and lofty view of God. And naturally then from that poverty of spirit springs both the spiritual mourning of the second beatitude, mourning over our sin, and the third beatitude, a spiritual meekness before God and before my neighbor. The humble person is lowly in heart. And that lowliness of heart, that comprehension of who God is and who I am and my neediness, my emptiness, and that God is the overflowing fountain of all good from whom I receive every good and perfect gift. When I stand before the presence of God and know Him and know myself, then I will be submissive towards my God. And when I look to my neighbor, my brother or my sister, my bearing and my behavior is going to be gentle and meek and mild. Meekness is a fruit of the Spirit which the Spirit cultivates in the soil of true humility. Thus, the meek are those who are by grace lowly of heart, not self-assertive, but self-effacing, self-denying. The meek yield themselves to God with heartfelt submission to His will and trustful self-surrender into His care. And really, that's what you see in the first part of Psalm 37. Let's reread some of the opening verses because really Psalm 37 here describes the character of the meek and describes for us in a general way what meekness looks like. Jesus, the master teacher, knew the perfect Bible passage, the perfect Old Testament passage to draw on as he delivers his Sermon on the Mount. In Psalm 37 here describes what meekness looks like. Starting with verse 3. Trust in the Lord and do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land. And verily thou shalt be fed. 
trust in the Lord. A meek, submissive spirit towards God. And a dependence upon Him. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and He shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in Him, and He shall bring it to pass. And He shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light, and thy judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord. Wait patiently for Him. Fret not thyself because of Him that prospereth in His way, because of the man who bringeth evil devices to pass. And on the psalm goes. That's meekness in action. And so you see, weakness is, or meekness is not just the opposite of pride. But meekness is also the opposite of stubbornness. Stiff-neckedness. The kind of character or attitude that will not yield that's stuck in its ways, that will not listen, that has no time of day for others' thoughts or opinions or hurts or struggles. Stubbornness and that kind of stiff-neckedness is a form of self-centered pride. Meekness is not stubborn, but yielding. Meekness studies carefully. The exercise of kindness. Now, of course, that doesn't mean that the meek lack conviction. That's a mistake if we think that meekness is being a doormat, or being a wet noodle, or being unstable in all of your ways, a double-minded person without conviction who just goes where the wind blows. That's how the world presents the meek. The world says, you can't be meek, because if you do, you're going to get trampled underfoot. You're not going to go anywhere. You have to assert yourself. Being meek does not mean you have no convictions. Being meek does not mean that you never stand up for yourself or for what is right. That's not the case. Again, look at Jesus. Was Jesus ever a man lacking conviction? Of course not. Jesus was unmovable in matters concerning God's truth and what is right and what is just. And yet, while he was the most unyielding man that ever walked this earth, the man who possessed fullness and perfect conviction, yet he was meek, mild, gentle, yielding. In the way he dealt with his people. The meek stand their ground on God's word, but as they do so, they're not puffed up in pride. The meek hold fast to conviction, but they don't use their convictions as cudgels to beat their neighbor with. As they stand fast and hold fast to their convictions with biblical firmness, they are nonetheless gentle, meek, mild. You see, contrary to the views of the world, meekness is not weakness. In fact, meekness is inner strength of the highest caliber. The violent man, the stubborn man, the harsh man, that's not real strength. Real strength is holding fast to your conviction, being unmovable where you must not move, and yet at the same time, Exercising yourself in gentleness and kindness towards all. There is true strength. Because that requires the greatest kind of strength. The greatest kind of strength is the strength that is exercised in self-control. The mastery of one's own spirit. The violent man, the stubborn man, the man who flares up when he's questioned or when somebody does him wrong, his lack of self-control shows his weakness. But the calm and measured meek man who does not budge from truth and right and yet nonetheless remains gentle and kind shows a mastery of spirit that is true strength. It's no coincidence that in Galatians 5.23, the Spirit puts the fruit meekness right next to temperance, which is self-control. Those two go hand 
in hand. So that, that is meekness. The Beatitudes are, as we've already seen, the contours of Christ-likeness. They are the characteristics that mark a Christian. A Christian. And therefore, all of them ultimately point us to Christ. And so as we wrap up the first point, that's where we need to end the first point. Gazing at Christ. We've studied the concept of meekness and seen what it is. And we've seen how Jesus is the exemplar of meekness. And now we need to turn our attention back to Him. Christ is the meek one. The meek King. And though the Bible says in Numbers 12 verse 3 that Moses was very meek above all men which were upon the face of the earth, earth, Moses' meekness was nothing in comparison to the meekness, the perfect meekness of the leader of the second and true Exodus, our Lord Jesus. I am the good shepherd, Jesus says. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. There's the meekness of the Savior. Who in all of his dealings with his people never once bruised or never once broke a bruised reed. Never once quenched a smoking flax. Jesus whose Meekness shines through in his submission to the Father's will, in his suffering for our sin. Take some snapshots from the Gospels. Snapshots of Jesus' life and see the meekness of Christ. See the King going to the King's city. Jesus, the King, Going to do battle with his enemies. Riding his war steed into battle to Jerusalem. On the back of a donkey. As Matthew 21 verse 5 says. Behold thy king cometh unto thee meek and sitting upon an ass. And the colt, the foal of an ass. Going to do battle with his enemies atop Calvary where he would yield Lay down his life. See the meek Savior in Gethsemane. In Matthew 26 verse 42 where he prays. O Father if this cup may not pass from me except I drink it. Thy will be done. See the meek Savior going before the church council. And the secular council. Before the the Sanhedrin and before Pontius Pilate. As that is described and prophesied by Isaiah in chapter 53 verse 7. He was oppressed. And he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before her shearers is dumb. So he openeth not his mouth. See the meek Savior upon the cross being railed against and instead of calling vengeance down upon His cruel crucifiers, the meek Savior instead says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. See the meekness of the risen Lord having just burst forth from the grave's gate and He comes To weeping Mary Magdalene. And all of his meekness. Is in that one word he speaks. Mary. Or to doubting Thomas. When Jesus appears. And you can imagine how annoyed any of us would have been in Jesus' shoes. This guy who just will not believe. Jesus says, Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones as ye see me have. The meek Savior. And it is through that meekness that Jesus is the Savior. It is through meekness that He saves. In meekness, Christ brought the greatest and mightiest power to bear. 
And there is another one of those complete overturning of human expectations. It is not by the sword. It is not by human power or might. Or even the sheer omnipotence that he had at his disposal that Jesus saves. But it is through meekness that he brings his power to bear in the most wonderful way. He conquered by being meek. He entered glory through suffering. In Jesus, ultimately, this beatitude is fulfilled. Blessed is the meek one, the king, for he shall and has inherited the earth. When Christ meekly conquered upon the cross and refused to take up the sword, refused to wield his power to destroy his enemies in the spectacular outward fashion that everyone wanted him. Jesus, who refused to bend the knee to the devil and take the world the easy way, but Jesus, who submitted to his Father's will to the very end and laid down his life upon the cross in meekness and humility, there obtained the victory there obtained eternal redemption, everlasting life and glory for his people. Through meekness, he conquers. And by meekness, the greatest power is brought to bear for your salvation and mine. And by his meekness, he earned the inheritance The inheritance of all things. The inheritance of the world. Which he then shares. With all his people. That's our meek Christ. And now Christ. Who is at the right hand of God exalted. Our king. Yet he remains meek and lowly of heart. We have a meek advocate. Before the Father. And how comforting that meekness of Christ is. Who when we go to him because we sinned again. His response is not. I've had it. I'm done with you. And harshly stiff arms us away. But the meek Savior has mercy. Our high priest who is touched with the feeling of our infirmities, our gentle shepherd who does not drive his people like cattle, but with his rod and staff he comforts them. The meekness through which Jesus redeemed us is the same meekness through which he works in us each day of our lives. The same meekness he shows to us each and every day. The meekness that encourages us to come to Him when He says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. You're not going to come to some harsh individual who's going to beat you over the head, but you will come to the meek Savior who is lowly of heart. His meekness is what makes Him so receptive, so approachable, so understanding, so willing as well as able to help. His people in every time of need. That is the meek one. Our king. And it is from him. And him alone. That we have the power now. As his people. Redeemed. Through his meek ministry and death. We have the power. To follow in his footsteps. And to put into practice. Meekness. Christian this is your honor. Your honor is. To be conformed by grace. To the image of Jesus Christ. The Beatitudes describe your privilege. The Beatitudes describe your glory. This is what God has earned for you. And this is what he is working in you. Christian, your privilege is to be more and more conformed to what we read here. More and more by the Spirit's work in your heart and life. To be and live this. To be the meek. 
who look like the meek Savior. So let's look at how we put into practice this particular contour of Christ-likeness. And here in the second point, we're going to look at two dimensions, or two directions. We're first going to look at how we put meekness into practice Godward, that is, before the face of God. And then secondly, how we put meekness into practice toward one another, toward brother, sister, neighbor in the midst of the world. First and foundational meekness is to be the Christian's attitude and demeanor towards God. It's an essential ingredient of the way we live before the face of God. Meekness is the demeanor that the child of God ought to have before my heavenly Father. So how is this meekness put into practice? Well, in the first place, meekness towards God is manifest by intentionally surrendering yourself to God. Adopting a spirit of submission, of submission to His will. We go back to our definition of meekness. A big part of it is a submissive spirit. And that word submissive simply means putting beneath. Sending under. It's a willing act of putting myself underneath my God. Again, our human nature bristles at this. Our human nature is the opposite of this. Our human nature says it is weakness, it is undesirable, it is miserable for me to put myself under anyone or anything. Human nature says climb to the top of the pile. Put yourself up and above. That's the logic of sin. The logic of the gospel. The logic of grace. The logic of Jesus Christ exemplified in his own life and ministry is this. It is blessed to put myself beneath. It starts with our will. We human beings are self-willed creatures, meaning that we wish to assert our wills, that is, what I want, my plans, what I think is best, what pleases me, and so forth, to assert that over others and ultimately over God. Self-will is one of the ingredients of pride. Pride and self-will go hand in hand. The the proud man is a self-assertive man. And again, self-assertion is different than standing up for yourself in the proper way. Remember, whenever we talk about humility and meekness, it's not being a doormat, letting yourself be just trampled by all and sundry. But it is a proper estimation of myself. Pride says, whether we acknowledge it or not, I'm better than others and I deserve to be on the top of the pile. And because I'm better than others, I have a right to push others down beneath me. And humility and meekness says no, no. Humility and meekness doesn't deny one's self-worth. But humility and meekness roots one's self-worth where it should be rooted in my identity in Christ as a redeemed son or daughter of God, loved by Him, cherished by Him, seen as valuable by Him. That's my identity. As a sinner saved by grace. And because I'm a sinner saved by grace, I see myself properly and that I don't belong on the top of the pile. And I don't have a right to shove everyone else down. But rather, I submit myself to God and His will, which is only good and is only good for me. Grace makes our natural, stony, hard hearts pliable again. Grace takes us hard, crusty sinners and makes us soft clay again. And because we as human beings are not inanimate objects, grace makes us willing clay that willingly 
submits itself to the molding hands of the potter and says, Fashion me, Lord, as thou dost will. Take my life, take all that I am, and put me on the potter's wheel and shape me by your good hands because everything your hands do is good. And if I were to adopt the spirit of autonomy that the world says is best, I'm going to make a mess of myself. I'm going to destroy myself. Oh, potter, have your way with me. I am the clay. That's the submissive attitude of the Christian. Born out of faith in Christ the Savior in love for my heavenly Father. Jesus said in John 5 verse 30, I can of mine own self do nothing because I seek not mine own will but the will of the Father which hath sent me. And the Christian echoes Christ's words. Meekness is intentionally placing myself underneath the will of my God. And thus denying myself wherever me gets in the way of God's will. Meekness then is a soft-hearted receptiveness to the word of God. Listen to what James 1.21 says. Receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. A meek and submissive spirit. That's really what it is to have the soil of your heart prepared for the word. We often use that, that illustration drawn from Jesus' parable of the sower. And we'll, we'll, we'll include it in our prayers often, will we not? That the the word have ready entrance into our hearts. That our heart might be soil well prepared to receive the word. Well, what is that? What is soil well prepared for the reception of the word? It's this, a meek and submissive spirit towards God. Without that meekness, the soil of my heart is going to be like clay. I'm not really going to want the word. Instead, I'll I'll take parts of the word that I like and get rid of others, or I'll twist the word into what I want it to be to justify the way I want to live. Meekness. Meekness allows us really to receive the word and take it in and profit from it. And so meekness toward God then is also manifest now through patient endurance of adversity. And trustful dependence upon God. When the meek intentionally, consciously place their own wills beneath God's will and confess, Thy will is only good. And I know that to be true because I look at Christ and I see, I see your will revealed and accomplished in Him. The meek who submit to God's will are going to be patient, trustful. When God opens His hand of providence and sends those times of adversity, only the meek can say what Job said in chapter 2, verse 10. Shall we receive good at the hand of God and shall we not receive evil? His point being, of course both are going to come to me from the fatherly hand of God. Now that doesn't mean that Job was a stoic. That doesn't mean Job was unfeeling. We know that. We see Job's grief as he sits there in dust and ashes. You read the book of Job and you you read his cries out to God. None of that was a compromise of his meekness. But Job's meekness consisted in this, that he Submitted to the hand of his father. So that he could say in chapter 3.15. Though he slay me. Yet. Will I trust him. It seems impossible. That anyone could have that attitude. That mindset. And it is impossible of ourselves. But for the Christian. Who looks to Christ. And sees how. Christ was slain, that I not be condemned. 
how God gave His only begotten Son for my eternal redemption, can now say this, whatever adversity is sent to me by my Heavenly Father, I know it comes from His fatherly hand, because it's the hand that delivered Christ for me. And though it feel like He slays me, He doesn't. Because Christ was slain for me. And because Christ was slain for me, all things must be subservient to my salvation. And that's why I put myself underneath God's will. Because God's will is my salvation. And God's will puts all things underneath the cause of my eternal redemption and salvation and glory. And so you go back to Psalm 37 and there you see meekness. Rest in the Lord. Wait patiently for Him. Fret not thyself. But now, in the second place, meekness towards the neighbor, towards the brother, towards the sister. Meekness is first of all our attitude towards God, a submissive spirit towards God, but now meekness ought to shape our conduct towards one another as well. Our demeanor and behavior towards our fellow men. What does that look like? Well, to start most broadly, meekness towards our neighbor means being gentle with other people. Not being harsh, unfeeling, difficult, but gentle. Mild in our actions. Mild in our reactions. If you're meek, you don't think so highly of yourself that you have a right to treat people however you want. If you're meek, you don't look down on your neighbor, but you esteem him. If you are meek, you see yourself in light of who God is, and this produces a gentle spirit. If you are meek, you bear patiently with the faults of your neighbor because you know your own, and you're so grateful for the patience God has towards you. If you are meek, you bear patiently with insult and injury, holding back that vengeful spirit which so quickly arises because you know that evil is not overcome with more evil, but evil is only overcome by good. And you look at Jesus and you look at how he overcame evil, not by drawing his sword and thrusting it into the heart of his attackers, but with meekness. With meekness. And so if you're meek, you will not be quickly provoked. Not overly defensive. The meek don't go nuclear as soon as someone questions or challenges them. The meek stay calm. Even while others get heated and angry. The meek don't just talk the humble talk, but they walk the humble walk. And so we must apply this to all of our different callings, our stations in life. It's true of this beatitude and all of the beatitudes. Your character ought to be who you are at all times, in all places, with all people. And if the Beatitudes describe Christian character, this is what we must be at all times, in all places, with all people. And so in our marriage, husbands, wives, be meek, gentle. Meekness is relationship superglue. And it's also the best fire extinguisher that you can have in a relationship. Keep that fire extinguisher on hand. How many conflicts, how many fights would be extinguished if we were meek? Are you a meek parent? Crucial for the well-being and spiritual blossoming of our children is modeling the gentleness of Christ to them. Yes, of course, firmness is necessary in parenting. Firmness in discipline. Firmness in holding to what is right and raising our children in the right right way, resisting the flood of worldliness, but firmness is not harshness. And sometimes the phrase tough love is used as an excuse for rough love, which really isn't love. 
but harshness. Even amidst the firmness that we are to have in parenting, that firmness must be balanced with Christ-like gentleness. Our children need both. As members of the church militant, we are called to earnestly contend for the faith. We are soldiers of Christ called to fight the good fight of faith. But how do we fight? Do we read those passages in the Bible about fighting for the faith and then pick up the world's sword and imitate the way the world does its battles? Imitate the way the world argues? Imitate the way the world deals with conflict? Or do we look at Christ and how he fought his battles? Meekly. We're to be like our king. And that means Christians contend for the faith. They're firm, they're resolute, they're unmoving, they stand their ground, they battle for the truth. But the character that they are to exhibit in all of that is a character that is Christ-like, that is meek. In fact, you can't be a good soldier of the cross. You can't be a good fighter for the faith. If your character is the opposite of Christ's. Meekness. A gentleness, a mildness, a charitableness is to be conveyed and expressed and exercised even in our Christian warfare. How silly it would be to think that the soldiers of Christ should conduct their warfare in a completely different way than Christ their King did. Meekness in practice is submitting our wills to each other. It's very interesting in Ephesians 5, before the chapter gets into the the calling of husband and wife in marriage, Ephesians 5.21 says this, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. You see, first and foremost, submission is a universally Christian grace. A submissive spirit is to be a character quality of all Christians. And so, if you are meek, that means you set aside the innate notion that I am the center of the universe. You set aside the idea that other people exist for me and to serve me. If you are meek, you conscientiously strive to live a God-centered life and an other-focused life. So that John the Baptist's words become your motto. He must increase, I must decrease. And his glory is magnified when I get down on my knees and serve the others in my life the way Jesus did. When I submit my will to God, which means in the way I handle my relationships and the way I deal with others, it's not my way or the highway. It's not my will. But I am willing to yield and submit my will to another. No surprise then that for office bearers in the church, as representatives of Christ, meekness is indispensable. Paul instructs the young pastor Timothy that the servant of the Lord must not strive, but rather in all of his labor among the sheep he must be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. Meekness put in practice is nurturing and keeping a forgiving spirit. Remember the unjust servant of of Jesus' parable? There's the face of pride. There's the not meek man who goes up to his debtor and grabs him by the throat and says, Pay me that thou owest. The meek act very differently. When someone has sinned against them, they seek their repentance, yes. But with a gentle spirit. As Galatians 6 verse 1 says, Brethren, if any man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness. And when a brother or a sister comes to repentance, the meek... Well, they take Colossians 3, 12 and 13 very seriously. 
Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. That's meekness put in practice. And just as Jesus brought the greatest power to bear through his meekness. The greatest power that the Christian can bring to bear. Is a power that is only exercised. Through humility. And meekness. Well to conclude. There is an inheritance for the meek. Jesus proclaims that the meek are blessed, they are happy, and he especially highlights this reason, because theirs is an inheritance unlike any other. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And that's a striking statement. Jesus' words are very plain. They shall inherit the earth. And it's especially there that Jesus is drawing from several verses in Psalm 37. Psalm 37, which attests to the fact Of the great goodness that God has in store for his meek people. So very different from the evildoers of the world. For though evildoers seem to prosper now. And their life of ungodliness and unbelief seems to get them places. Their prosperity is but a vapor. God's people shall inherit the earth and dwell in the land forever. They shall inherit it. Whenever we read that word inherit, we should think grace. Because an inheritance is never something that's earned. An inheritance is given from parents to child as a free gift. This inheritance is something the meek have because they have been brought into the family of God through the work of Christ, the only begotten Son, who himself is the meek heir of all things. And Christ, having earned Salvation for us, having won the whole world as his inheritance, we now have a share in it because we belong to him. That's what Romans 8.17 says. And if ye are children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. What an encouragement. Because being a meek Christian in the world, It often doesn't get you places the way the world wants to get places. Many of the meek are not the rich, famous, powerful. But the meek are the truly blessed. The meek enjoy the good things of this world like no one else can. Because the meek... Know that all things that come into their hand come from their Father. The proud world can eat and drink and make itself merry. But it does so under the looming shadow of death and judgment. But the meek eat and drink and labor under the shade of the cross. And even though the meek often have a smaller portion. Psalm 37 verse 16. A little that a righteous man hath is better than riches of many wicked. They truly enjoy their portion. Because it comes to them from the hand of their father. And they know much more is coming. And the third beatitude especially pushes the eyes of our faith to look towards the future. The meek shall inherit the earth. And Jesus means that they shall literally inherit the whole earth. We have a charter already to the possession of the universe. Because it has been earned for us by Jesus Christ. And when Christ the King returns, the earth shall belong to the saints. On the cross, Christ purchased and reconciled creation to himself. As Colossians 1 verse 20 says. Romans 8.21 says that the creature itself shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. When Christ returns and he enacts the final judgment, then shall come the renewal of all things. 
And this present age shall pass away. And the world, the creation shall be renewed and shall be the setting of life everlasting. And literally, the meek shall inherit the earth. Expectations overturned. Worldly wisdom turned upside down. It's not pride that gets somewhere. It's the meek who in the end shall reign. The meek to them and to them alone belongs the universe, all things. For we belong to Christ and belonging to Christ, all things are ours. And so may this promise of the inheritance graciously given and coming spur us on as God's people to forsake the world and its ways and to live as the blessed meek. Amen. Father in heaven, we thank thee for this instruction. These beautiful words of Christ, about Christ, and for us. That we might be and live like Christ. Press them upon our hearts. Make us a people who are meek. Meek towards thee and meek towards one another. And may we in that meekness. Experience and enjoy the blessedness. That belongs to the children of the living God. Amen.